Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning and welcome to Essex Church, where this gathered community of Kensington Unitarians has its spiritual home. Today, in case any of us had forgotten, is the second Sunday in October, and this month's ministry theme is The Religious Life. And today we're going to be pondering an imponderable question. What does this world require of us? Now we could turn that question around and what, what do I need from this world? And the ideas start to flow. Air, nourishment, water, connection, the list would go on, wouldn't it? And I suspect that many of us who've actually chosen to get up and come to church on a Sunday morning, we're also looking for, what would we call it? A space for reflection, time to consider life's meaning and purpose, something out of the everyday. I don't know what, what you would say to that. But I think we're choosing to do all of that exploring in good company with others. And I hope that's what we Kensington Unitarians are providing for the world, a reflective space from which we can step out to meet the world once more with all its pressing needs. So today we're using the Purple Hymn Book, um, or if you would rather have a larger font, do ask um, Julia, our steward, and... Uh, she can give you that. If you turn to the back, we don't often turn right to the back, but in this book, there are some rather lovely words for worship, some written by Unitarians around the country. And um, I'm going to suggest that we say the words of number 233. So perhaps turn and have a look at those words. As I light our chalice, this, this simple chalice flame reminding us that we are one people living one life on one planet Earth. May our progressive faith help guide our path. So if you wish, do join in saying these words, which were written by Dawn Buckle, who's a member of the congregation in Duckenfield, and a, a delightful person. Let's join together. We open ourselves to worship today. May the peace of this house bring us calm. May the joy of this hour make our hearts glad. May the challenge of this hour awaken our courage. May the communion of this hour confirm our togetherness. And so may it be. Let's, let's settle ourselves. Let's um, align ourselves with that which we hold to be of greatest importance. Inviting the spirit of life and love to be with us as it always can be whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in. Let's take a breath and as we breathe out, let us, let us find a heartfelt prayer for the times in which we live. 
when so much seems turbulent in our world and we are aware of the sufferings of so many and aware of the, the human folly that causes such suffering. Let us pray for the rulers of all countries of the world that wisdom rather than self-interest may guide their decisions. That they may commit themselves to improving the lot of the many rather than the few. And let's pray for those who speak out against the wrongs of our day. The Extinction Rebellion protesters starting their second week of activism on the streets of London as well as other cities around the world. May the message they bring for governments of the world that our one precious planet is at a danger point of climate change, a tipping point that will adversely affect, is adversely affecting all beings on this earth, starting with the most vulnerable, the animals, the poor, the young. May, may this message be heard loud and clear and acted upon. And may all protesters be safe. And also the police who do the job they are paid to do upholding the law. Let us think in loving compassion and solidarity of all those who protest and of all those who are oppressed by tyranny, especially the people of Hong Kong and Iraq and Syria and the Kurds who long for a place they can call their own country. As the rain falls this day, may we too grieve the world's injustices and commit ourselves to the ongoing task of seeking justice for all beings in whatever way we can. Be our contribution large or small. And when we know our own needs to be great, may we find the bravery that is needed to reach out and seek help and support for ourselves givers and receivers, one and all. And in a moment of stillness, now let us direct our thoughts and the prayers of our hearts to, to places of need. Be they in ourselves or in our neighbourhoods, families, friendships or in our wider world. And may love guide us this day and all days. Amen. Hmm. We have a reading now, and I meant to bring the book down to show you. Um, 
if, and I've left it upstairs. If you've not come across the work of Jack Cornfield, I really recommend him to you. An American Buddhist, uh, meditation teacher, great storyteller, and he clearly has the knack of choosing book titles that leap out, at least at me and I suspect other people. One of my favourites is called A Path with Heart, path with heart, which is, I think, a good description of the kind of path in life that would appeal to many of us. And today's short reading is from another of his books, After the Ecstasy, The Laundry, <laughs> How the Heart Grows Wise on the Spiritual Path. In, in, in his Buddhist tradition, where some students may go away on long, long years of retreats, there is then the problem of how to return to the everyday world with all its troubles, its challenges, its frustrations. Yeah, it's one thing, isn't it, to have religious beliefs and practices, but how do we personally deal with blocked sinks and toilets, with people who annoy us or frighten us, and with governments who seem hell-bent on causing more trouble rather than working for the higher good? I couldn't read the whole of his book out this morning, so I've chosen just one section called Bearing Witness for Justice. See what you think. So Jack Cornfield writes, One way our most radical political act is a change of heart. If we want to overcome greed, racism, exploitation and hatred to end suffering and bring our lives into harmony with the earth, we must see that the fundamental crisis is in human consciousness. If the world is to be healed, it cannot happen by political and economic means alone. We have seen how the revolutionaries of one generation can turn into the oppressors of the next, and how political power can beget greed and delusion. We have to face the forces of separation, of greed, of hate directly, and learn to live peacefully with a free heart. If we cannot do this, how can we expect it of others, he writes. Wisdom tells us the human realm on earth has always included gain and loss, sorrow and joy, greed and generosity, ugliness and beauty. Even so, we cannot ignore the cries of today. From a peaceful heart, we recognise a responsibility for alleviating suffering, no matter what the delusion is around us. We draw steadfastness and courage from our prayers and meditation, and then we naturally respond. There comes a growing knowledge that we cannot be complicit with the outrages of the world. And sometimes our most powerful response is to bear witness courageously. And this alone begins to create transformation. Jack Cornfield then goes on in that chapter to describe very movingly the work Joanna Macy, another Buddhist teacher and activist, has done with community leaders living near the Chernobyl nuclear power plant after a reactor there suffered a partial meltdown back in 1986, which had such a devastating effect on the land all around there. Her work helped the grief-stricken leaders realised that all 
all they could do was to bear witness to the terrible destruction of their once beautiful land and then help ensure that the story would be heard and perhaps then avoid any future similar poisoning of the earth. It's so important to keep such events in public memory and it's so easy for us to forget. I was going to read a couple of other short responses to the question, what is required of us? But I think let's save them for later. Let's stay with Jack Cornfield's idea of the importance of bearing witness, of sometimes very bravely standing in the face of something very difficult and just being honest about it. This reading is from Elias uh, Amidon, and it comes from Outrage and Love, a personal history by Elias Amidon. Elias is a spiritual teacher, a Sufi, who has led sessions here at the Essex Church, as well as so many other places in, around the world, and has worked to advance peace and cross-cultural understanding in the Middle East and Central Asia. We sometimes use his anthologies of prayers for the earth and for life. This is a short extract from a longer piece of writing, which we can email you if you're interested in having it. I recently celebrated my 75th birthday, Elias writes, an event that rang like a gong in my heart, making me look up from the current procession of my days and back at the trajectory that my life has traced through those years looking, as often happens for those fortunate enough to live this long, looking for patterns and meanings that might tell me what this has all been about. There are many ways the story could be told, of course, but one pattern in particular stands out for me just now that I'll try to describe here on the chance it may reflect something in your life too. To put it most simply, throughout my years, I have been drawn to, astonished by, and in love with beauty, the beauty of nature and the beauty of human potential, and outraged by its desecration. Since I have a fairly mild nature, the feelings of outrage that have arisen in me have often been disturbing and difficult to know what to do with them. Elias then goes on to describe a lifetime of growing awareness of his own sense of outrage at the world's injustices and a move from reactive rage and distress to something deeper. The outrage is still there, for sure, but now it's more like a source of energy than a source of disdain. When I watched young Greta Thunberg at the United Nations the other day express her outrage at world leaders for not doing everything in their power to stop the climate disaster looming over life on Earth, tears came to my eyes. Her outrage was love. Her outrage swept all of us together in its love. It didn't pull away as mine had done for half of my life. Perhaps the moral of this story, know that your outrage against the des desecration of life on Earth is a sign of your love, and let that outrageous love of yours join with others to create a just and beautiful world.
like, let's take Bob Dylan's message way back from the 60s, that the times they are changing into our time of meditation. There'll be some spoken words to lead us into a good few minutes of shared silence together. So I invite you to get yourselves comfortable, maybe put down anything you want to let go of or hold on to something you would like to hold on to. Get yourself as comfortable as you can in this this chair and perhaps be aware of the earth beneath our feet. Allowing the gentle rhythm of our breathing to settle us and to allow us to turn inwards for a while. Maybe softening our gaze or closing our eyes, whatever works for us. And choosing to follow the suggestions I'm making or to think your own thoughts, whatever works best for you. And I ask you, if you wish, to consider this issue of change in life, in your own life, in the life of the world. This inevitable process of the material realm nothing stays the same all changes and of course there are changes we yearn for in our own lives in the lives of those we know and love and in the life of the world there are changes we yearn for and the changes we fear and all the possibilities in between can we hold all change in the warmth of love. Let us consider in our shared stillness and silence now the holding of change in love. And our silence will come to an end with a chime from our bell. The, um, the quote on the front of today's order of service has stayed in my mind ever since I first came across it. Let's, let's have a, a look at it now. The greatest religion, pro- religious problem today is how to be both a mystic and a militant. In other words, how to combine the search for an expansion of inner awareness with effective social action and how to feel one's true identity in both. I mean, Ursula Le Guin, she can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned, a favourite author. 
And she's someone who can imagine worlds other than our own. She can imagine life being different. And I guess that's, that's something that lots of us are doing too, wondering why things are as they are and wondering what could change and what could change, create a better way of living for all aspects of our beautiful web of life here on planet Earth. Asking ourselves what actions we need to take now to be part of that change and how, how that balances with our own inner life and our own sense of self. These are all deep questions and as is entirely appropriate in our Unitarian setting where we're not expecting to find any one true answer to all of this. But I think we are exploring complex questions with one another and we're sharing the insights that we glean on our journeys through life. Le Guin writes of mystics and militants, great words, and I wonder what they conjure up for you. That word militant speaks for me of a righteous rage against injustices, a powerful prophetic voice backed up by action to right wrongs, to stand up for the oppressed, especially those whose voices have been silenced by the powerful. The word mystic for me describes that awareness of, I'm going to put it very vaguely, something more, something unknown, something greater than the small individual self, some reality that is beyond each of us and yet also within us an unknown, indescribable sense of connection that brings us a deeper perspective with all that occurs in the hullabaloo of everyday life. And hullabaloo is possibly rather too gentle a word to describe the chaos and confusion and conflict of much of what is going on in our world at present, isn't it? And we are in the fortunate, or maybe is it unfortunate, position of being very aware of quite a bit of what is going on, with a media that informs us and gives us pictures of troubling situations the world over. We truly are living within an interconnected web of existence. Our lives are inextricably linked with all lives, human, animal, planet, and the Earth herself. Now, as some of you know, I'm quite involved with training in both worship studies and ministry. And one of the bits of guidance that we give new worship leaders is to reveal something about yourself as a preacher, but not too much. And avoid making your listeners envious or worried about you. So, apologies for now doing exactly what I'm telling everyone else to avoid by giving an extended description of what I did on my holidays. But I'm just back from a really special fortnight spent walking in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. We saw, from the comfort of our car, it's got to be said, two bears, three moose, 15 elk, and assorted small squirrel-like creatures. And the small squirrel-like creatures are the only ones that I felt entirely safe about. And as we travelled around, they've got some excellent display boards, and one of the bits of information that, that stood out very clearly for me, that, that actually how very late in human history Western explorers and um, settlers arrived in that vast land, um, and, 
and also how very frightened they were by the natural wilderness that they discovered. They were awestruck by its beauty, but they were also compelled, I think, to try and tame it, subdue it, master it. They felt very small in that vast landscape, and so did I. Now, now we know better that nature is to be worked with, is to be protected rather than subdued, misused, exploited. And, and I think many of us are feeling overwhelmed by this task. Where do we begin to right the wrongs of which we are so aware and of which we are so much part? Here in London, as I mentioned earlier, as well as in cities around the world, Extinction Rebellion are in the middle of their two-week protest, aiming to bring the effects of climate change onto every government's agenda. Over, I think it's rising um, by the minute, over 1,400 arrests have been made here in London, including several Unitarians that we know here in London. Um, part of Extinction Rebellion's policy is to stand up for, or rather sit down or lie down, in peaceful, non-violent protest, asking us all to wake up to the effects of global warming. And global warming is just one of many world issues that concern me and I know you. I wonder what else would be on your list, what's at the top of your agenda. I'd add the urgent need for clean water and sufficient food for all people. That's not too much to ask, is it, in this day and age? I'd, I'd add protection for the world's animals to live their lives safely. I'd add women's reproductive rights, education for all. The lists go on and on and on, don't they? There is a Jewish concept of tikkun, which translates roughly as repair of the world. Repair of the world. And writer Annie Dillard expresses it equally well when she writes that we are required to keep the world from falling apart. Well, the world has always been falling apart and being put back together again by people and by the natural world itself which has its own healing cycles of breaking down and growing anew. Yet we are living in changing times. It's that beautiful and now quite old tune of Bob Dylan's reminds us. The times they are indeed are changing. On our hymn sheet, the little green sheet, um, there is um, a suggestion that we explored in the meditation earlier on, that we, we consider the changes we yearn for in life and the changes we fear, and we hold them all in love. And this is what Sufi teacher Elias Amidon was suggesting in his piece that we heard Julia read an extract from, that we take our outrage at the world's injustices and we hold that outrage in love. Only then do we respond from the place of love. Rage on its own is oppositional. It sets up further tensions and polarities that swing back on us. Love encloses all in its embrace. And sometimes, as Jack Cornfield told us in his piece, all we can do is bear witness and stay with that which we find frightening or abhorrent acknowledging our powerlessness and yet paradoxically finding our power through staying with that which is 
And we need to do the inner work, the work of the mystics, so that we have the resources to work in the world with love, with compassion for all involved, with, with reflective awareness of the complex interrelationships between self and others, self and the world, self and the whole great unknown caboodle of it all. That whole great unknown caboodle of which I do genuinely believe we are all part and an important part. We need to combine the strengths of mystics and militants and recognise that we are indeed in this thing called life together. This thing called life which affects, that which affects one truly affects us all. So may it be. Amen. Richard Gilbert writes that life is both our only chance to grow a soul and to repair the world. We can't really do one without the other, he says. So in the week that lies ahead, let us do the work of growing our souls and doing the work of repairing the world as best we can with what we have and who we are and at the stage of life we are at, ever aware of the great gift of life that we are given, using the power of love to strengthen and sustain us, now and always. Amen. Go well and blessed be.